So, honey, what'd you learn at church today? <laughs> the character trait that we're examining today, if you look at the text, uh, and what we published months ago was a Christian serves others. Now, it's one of those times when um, I get into, I, I write my sermons on Wednesday mornings or Wednesday until I'm done. So it starts Wednesday morning in the process. And as I, uh, David and I selected these texts and these subjects, you know, three or four months ago. But when I got into my study, I realized that what I wanted to share with you today isn't about serving others. We, we already know how important that is. And we know that you know how important that is. So um, I, I just saw the text in a completely different light. And so that's what I want to share with you today. The, the, the theme of this text, if you look at it closely, you'll see it. The theme of this text is the difference between living faith and dead faith. The difference between walking in life and light and walking in darkness and death. The heartbeat of this text is about this faith, James says, that is actually so alive in you that you can't keep it from producing. And James contrasts living faith with dead faith, and that's why I wanted to show you Christians on. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. I just typed in Christian zombies video and that came up. So, I mean, it's, you know, I didn't make that. It just popped up and it's uh, pretty, pretty good, I think. So saving faith. Now, there's, there's not a difference in the text and in any other of Pauline or James or Jesus teachings. Uh, saving faith and living faith are exactly the same thing. So if you're wondering about how is living faith different from saving faith, there is no difference. If you're alive in Christ, you're alive. If you're alive in Christ, you're saved. So when I'm talking about living faith, always remember it's saving faith. So uh, saving faith, like any living thing, produces something. James says it produces good works. It can't, now forgive the double negative, it can't not produce something. Living faith, if it is alive, will produce something. And James says that something is good works. In other words, on the other side of that, the flip side, the absence of good works indicates that faith is dead. Because dead things cannot produce living things. I mean, that's one of the reasons that... uh, you know, evolution, I'm kind of a progressive uh, non-evolutionist, and it's a new term I made up. Evolution says that at one point in time, life came out of non-life. Okay, that, that's where the all scientists get stuck. They get stuck there. Okay, I can't, I can't figure out how life came from non-life. And that's what James would say, that dead things cannot produce anything because they're dead. Throughout Scripture, there are varying kinds of faith. Actually, more varying degrees of faith. You all know the passage about all you need is the faith of a mustard seed, which is it was at, then, at the known time then it was the smallest seed uh, around. Uh, we know now there are some that are smaller, but this very small amount of faith is living faith. So when we talked about varying degrees of faith, uh, by the way, this message today is kind of a, uh, it's almost a theological treatise. Uh, I had to dumb it down for myself. 
so I hope you can follow it too. But, but th- these ideas here have been in me, and I wanted to put it in a way that will help you understand the difference between living faith and dead faith. So stay with me. So there's varying degrees of faith in Scripture. For instance, the d- disciples, Jesus said, he said, you have weak faith. Uh, Thomas, he said to Thomas, you have little faith. Now, weak faith needs to be challenged, and Jesus challenged the disciples. You need that to change. Uh, little faith needs to grow. Uh, Thomas, you can allow your faith to grow. But understand this, and this is really important. In fact, this is the key of the entire message. You need to hear this. Whether it's weak faith or little faith, it's still living faith. Now, maybe there are those of you here this morning that um, have weak faith. And, and one of the reasons God, I think, has you here is that maybe he wants your faith to grow today. Some of you might have little faith, and that, that little faith needs to change. You need to have more faith, and, and maybe that's why God has you here today. But, but, but hear this challenge. If you have weak faith or little faith, it's still living faith. You're still alive. There's still a spirit of God within you that's pulsating. You're still alive. Too many people say, well, I don't have very much faith, therefore I must not be a Christian. The text really hammers away at that point. It's not true. Faith of a mustard seed, little faith, weak faith, is still living, saving faith. It's alive. Now, every one of us at some time in our lives have experienced wounded faith. Um, after our son Tyler was killed in 1989, my faith for several years was what I would call wounded faith. Uh, I wasn't sure how much I believed in God's sovereignty. I was, wasn't sure how much I believed in God's love. Uh, my faith was small, it was weak, but mostly it was wounded. But I remember a, a friend in the Lakewood Covenant Church where I was serving, uh, Gene Whitney, Whitney, told me this. He said, Dwayne, I know your faith is wounded, but, but hear this. You still have faith. You still have faith. Even when your faith is wounded, it's still living faith. Now, some of you may have tired faith. Some of you may have frightened faith. Or even, hear this, stumbling into sin faith. It's a phrase that Paul uses. Here's what James wants to communicate to you and to me this morning. If you have wounded faith, what you've come here for today is healing. If you have tired faith, what God wants to give you today is rest. If you have frightened faith, God wants to give you comfort. And if you have stumbling into sin faith, God wants to provide you forgiveness when you repent of your sins and offer you his amazing grace. But you need to know, please hear this, you need to know that wounded faith A tired faith and frightened faith, and yes, even stumbling into sin faith, is still living faith. We're not talking about our salvation. We're talking about when you have Christ in you, that you are alive. Sometimes it doesn't always show it. Sometimes you don't always look like it, but it is living faith. There's a wonderful um, story in Mark chapter 9. And I'll show you a verse from that in just a moment. But here was a father who was frightened and very honest about his feelings. Uh, It it seems that this father had a son who was demon-possessed. A a demon lived in this boy. And this father's faith was very, very wobbly. 
And he couldn't hardly hold on, but he was afraid and he was, his faith was wobbly and it was wounded and everything else. And, and he comes across Jesus and he says, Jesus, I, would you heal my son? He's, he's got this demon in him. He's foaming at the mouth. Would you heal my son? And, and Jesus says, uh, do, you, do you want me to heal your son? He says, yes, I do. And then here's what the father says. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe that rings a chord with you. Now, this father's faith was wobbly. It was pretty wounded. It was pretty small and and weak. But um, it was alive. Wobbly faith needs stabilizing. Wobbly faith yet even though it needs stabilizing, is a living faith. James is saying that very specifically in this text. So let me kind of bring that down to uh, just a paraphrase. There is a kind of faith. And James would say, there's a kind of faith I want you to know about. It's not just weak faith or wounded faith or wobbly faith. There's a kind of faith that is that is dead. Now, as opposed to all these other kinds of faith, even the faith of a mustard seed that you have in you at different times in your life, there's another kind of, there's another kind of, 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 of faith that is absolutely dead. How can you tell it's dead? Because it is void of the things that faith produces. Dead faith is dead. Because it is void of producing what only living faith can produce. And James says that's good good works. The reason it's dead is because nothing is produced from a dead person. And that's how you can tell it's dead faith. Now, let's look at a a couple of verses uh, in our text this morning. Uh, Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Uh, Verse 20. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, James brings up an analogy here using the body-spirit analogy with the faith, the living faith, dead faith analogy. So a body without a spirit is something that we call a corpse. And a corpse has no signs of life. Now, if you're alive, you, you breathe and you, you have an EKG and you have a heart uh, beat and you walk. And that, that's, those are things that indicate that you're alive, that you're living. But faith void of that which produces, faith produces, which is good works, is a corpse. Now, I know this is a delightful analogy and you're saying, oh, this is really nice. I enjoy this. But faith without works is what James would call a spiritual zombie. Now, spiritual zombies uh, are dead, but they appear to be alive. And I believe in all the world, and there have been times perhaps in some of your lives where you have been a spiritual zombie, where you have all of the um, appearances, so to speak, of, of life, but you're dead. You know, a zombie goes around and says, I believe, I believe, you know. Uh, you know, be warm, be warm. It says all those things which says, oh, yeah, well, he must be alive, but he is not. Here's, here's the question. How do you spot a spiritual zombie? 
And James provides three signs, and I want to look at those today. Three characteristics of a spiritual zombie. The first is this. An empty confession, verse 14. A false compassion, uh, verses 15 to 17. And a shallow conviction, verses 18 through 20. Let's look, first of all, at an empty confession. How many of you have heard the name Marjo Gortner? Very, very few. Um, Marjo Gortner was born in 1944, and he was born to a, um, uh, an evangelical preacher, a Pentecostal evangelical preacher. Uh, even then, uh, in the late 40s, in the early 40s, there were some preachers that were on television once in a while. It didn't become really popular until the mid-50s, but they were there. Well, this father of Marjo Gortner decided that uh, he noticed that his son Marjo had the ability to mimic you know, and uh, whatever his dad did, he could do. And so he dubbed his son, when he was four years old, the world's youngest evangelist. And if you've ever seen, have you seen Bruce, some of the video of this guy? And when he's four years old, he would stomp back and forth in the stage and he would preach and, and he, had, he would have his Bible four years old and he would mimic his dad and he would preach and he'd rail against sin and smoking and drinking and dancing. And, and it's just really impressive what you saw. And throughout his life, this was his life. When he was a teenager, he was the greatest teenage preacher. When he was in his 20s, he was... A, and the, finally, there was a time in his life when he realized that all of his life had been a sham, a lie. He didn't really believe any of this. In fact, there's a documentary, I forget the name of it, it might be just Marjo, a documentary that came out in 1971, won the Academy Award for the best documentary. If you want to, you, you could look that up. But here was a man who lived all of his life a lie. Here he was, was a, a zombie, you know, saying, I believe, I believe, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, the Bible's good, the Bible's good, listen to me, listen to me. But everything inside of him was dead. Claim of faith, claims of faith in your life that are void of that which produces fruit is dead. You can say all day long, be warm, be warm, God bless you, God bless you, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. But those words, void of that which faith produces, which is good works, is dead. Now, I want to just take a, 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 a sidecar here for a moment and address something that some of you, in fact, a couple of you have talked directly about it, talk about this, and that is the fact that James and Paul, the Apostle Paul, seem to be in conflict. Of course, we know Paul is all about faith and grace. And it seems as if James is all about works. And is there a conflict between the gospel of grace and faith alone and uh, this idea of works. Well, historically, uh, hundreds of years ago, Martin Luther, who was converted from Catholicism, called James a straw epistle. And what he meant by that was that he thought it was empty. It was empty of the grace and the faith that you find in Paul's writings. So here, one of those great leaders of the church called James a straw epistle. He saw James' teaching as inconsistent with Paul's teaching of grace and grace alone. Now, you have to remember the context. Luther came out of stifling legalism. The Roman Catholic Church in the early 16th century, it was stifling. Just do what you're told to do. Do the checklist, and then you'll be okay. That was the Roman Church in the early 16th century. So grace to Martin Luther 
a man shall live by grace, was like a breath of fresh air. And passages that were near and dear to uh, Luther's heart were the ones that you would expect. Romans 4, 5. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Romans 3.28 For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Romans 3.20 Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. And Titus 3.5 He saved us not because of righteous, the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The fact is this. Even though it seems that Paul was all about grace and James was all about works, the fact is that Paul and James were not in conflict. A conflict is, is like two people face to face. That's the picture of a conflict. If you want a picture of James and Paul, you need not to see them face to face. You need to see them back to back. Back to back, because they're both giving the same message, but they're fighting different enemies. They're fighting different enemies. Paul is fighting the enemy of legalism. Paul is fighting the enemy of, you can be saved by doing good things. Paul is fighting the enemy of, if you have a checklist and there's ten things on the list, you do all of those ten things, you got your ticket to heaven. You punched your ticket, you're good to go. Paul is speaking against that because... We know that you can only be saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. So that was Paul. Paul was fighting against those enemies of legalism. At the same time, James was fighting for the same theology, for the same belief. He was fighting a completely different enemy. His enemy was libertinism. Libertinism. Now this enemy, at its core was that, okay, I agree, Paul, with you that good works can never save you, because he never says that works, works can save you. Uh, I agree that works, good works can never save, save you, but some people hear that message, and what they believe is, therefore, because good works will never save you, it doesn't matter if you do good works. That's libertinism. Okay? I'm saved, I'm blessed, I've got the punch list, I'm going to heaven, so I can just cruise and retire and do my own thing for the rest of my life. James says, he screams, no, you can't do that. If you have the life of Jesus in you, Jesus wants to serve others and to love others and be in others' lives. You can't have this faith and say it's alive, but it has no product. No, it doesn't produce anything. That's why he says, faith without works is dead. So here's the two. Paul is fighting against legalism. Do the list and you're in heaven. Paul says that's wrong. James is fighting against libertinism that says it doesn't matter how you live your life because you're in. You know, you're, you're, you're good. Both of those messages together bring us to the message of grace and salvation. It does matter how you live. James says it, it matters for it reveals. It doesn't save. Your good works doesn't save you. But it reveals whether or not you have living faith. Because living faith I'll say it again. I'll say it over and over again. Living faith produces a pulse. Produces a heartbeat. A breath. A movement. Good works. 
it produces those things which are the natural product of living faith, which is good works, ministering and serving to other believers and ministering, serving and witnessing to the whole world. In fact, James says the most accurate and natural way of showing life is good works. The life of Jesus comes through you. We stumble. Yes, we do. And we wobble. And our faith is weak. And our faith is small. But still the most accurate measure of life in us is good works. That's what James says. Let me say it this way. What you do is a far clearer indicator, a more honest indicator of what you believe than what you say. Now, some of you may not agree with that, but I believe that is absolutely the message of Paul and James. What you do is a far clearer indicator, much more honest, of what you believe than what you say. A spiritual zombie walks around saying, I believe, I believe, God bless you, God bless you. Be warm. They never pick up a blanket and give it to somebody, but they say, be warm, be fed. You know, they're all saying all the words, but there's nothing behind it that leads to life. Paul is in absolute full agreement with James' perspective. Listen to Titus 1.11. Now, this is Paul's words, right? Listen to Paul's words. Titus 1.11. Excuse me, 1.16. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him. That's a spiritual zombie. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That's that's Paul's words. You could put that right in the book of James. That's what Paul is saying. It's an empty confession. Now, the most powerful and well-known passage about that we are saved by faith and grace and not by works is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Those of you who have been in the church a long time, like me, you, that's one of the first passages you learned as a youngster growing up. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So uh, let's, let's, uh, let's read that. Um, here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, we all grew up with that passage, and we know that's true. I can't save myself. I, it's got to be faith, and it's got to be God's grace. That's what saves me. I know that, and so we hang on to that message of Paul. But listen to what Paul says further in verse 10. So many times we stop at verse 9. Listen to verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, say it out loud with me, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You think Paul and James have a different view of life? No. Back to back, fighting different enemies, but exactly the same teaching. That's an empty confession. When you say words, but your life doesn't back it up. Spiritual zombies. That's the number one thing they have is an empty confession. The second thing they have is a false Compassion, a false compassion. Look at verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, that's verse 17. 
But those first two verses are very powerful. Oh, so um, you're hungry? I'll pray for you. I will. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Uh, you, you, need a, you need a bed to lay on? Well, you know, you could go out and get a job. I mean, you could, you know, you could do something about your condition. You, you should, you know, do something. But, but I'll pray for you. I'll pray that you find a park bench or someplace to sleep that won't give you a, a backache. I'll pray for you. In fact, I'll, I'll encourage you all that I can. I'll even, I'll even quote you some Bible verses <laughs> because Bible verses are really good and they're good food and they are good food for the soul. And, I'll, 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 and, and I will bless you and I'll pray for you and I'll even tell my friends about you and, and, and God bless you. That's a spiritual zombie. See, people you live with and know, just like me, saying be warmed doesn't warm anyone. What they need is a coat. That's false compassion. Last week, um, we mentioned at, in this service, in the first service, about the need for these mats, 45 bucks a pop for these mats for Jacob's uh, journey house. And, um, and, and, and we wanted to get several of those. And so we asked you to consider doing that. And um, some of you might have left the church. Well, some of you may not have had the money or forgot about it, which is per- perfectly legitimate. But there was a lineup out there of people waiting to pay $45. In fact, we bought all 15 mats that Costco had. We bought them out. Plus, we had an additional $600 in second service because you people bought all the mats. What's wrong with you? You didn't save any room for the second service. And, uh, and then we had an extra $600 to give them for their ministry. See, that's not telling somebody, be warm. Be full, you know. I'll pray for you. I'll lay hands on you. I'll, 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 give, you a, I'll give you a Bible verse. It, it's much more than that. It's allowing the life of Christ to, see you, to be seen in the way that you serve others. Living faith always produces something that life produces. And in this case, James says, that's good works. That's good works. There's a story of a queen many years ago in Great Britain who went to a play one cold winter night, just terribly cold. And uh, in the play, it was a, uh, a drama, a tragedy. Uh, during the play, uh, one of the main characters was killed, and it was a very powerful play, and she was moved deeply by the acting and by the story to where she was weeping in her box. And uh, people noticed the queen and said, Oh, man, what a compassionate heart. What an amazing woman. Just, oh, wow. She's so tender-hearted, so compassionate. When the play was over, she was escorted out to her carriage. And uh, because she didn't know if she was going to like the play and might wanted to leave early, she, she instructed the coachman to stay on the coach, out, outdoors in the cold, ready at the ready in case she wanted to leave early. Well, this was four hours later, and the coachman literally froze to death. When she saw this and heard this, she was so annoyed that it took them so long to find another coachman because it was so cold in that coach. That's false compassion. You see uh, uh, Sally Struthers on the television, you know, talking about poor children, and you quickly move past that station or, or feed the children or uh, Compassion International or something, or you even have a tear that comes down. And that's false compassion unless you... Do something about it. That, that's what James is talking about. Living faith. 
Brennan Manning, in his amazing book of his child, says this. The Christian commitment is not an abstraction. It is a concrete, visible, courageous, and formidable way of being in the world, forged by daily choices consistent with inner truth. Isn't that beautiful? He goes on. A commitment that is not visible in humble service, suffering discipleship, and creature love is an illusion. Jesus Christ is impatient with illusions. And the world has no interest in abstractions. When being is divorced from doing, pious thoughts become an adequate substitute for washing dirty God forgive us if that's our story. That's a spiritual zombie, someone with a false compassion. A few years ago at the leadership conference, uh, Bill Hybels interviewed uh, Bono uh, from the very mega-famous Irish rock band. And um, when he interviewed Bono, Bono's thing is to try and feed, you know, take care of world hunger the best way he can. He's leveraging his popularity um, and uh, doing the best he can to do that. And on this interview, uh, Bill Hybels was representing the Christian community, not all of us, but uh, many leaders. And, and uh, Bill said, well, how do you think the church is doing in this area of feeding the world? And Bono confessed. He said, I think you're doing terribly. I think, I think the church has really fallen down. Again, he said, like the church has so many times. And, you know, they talk a good game and they seem to act like they know what they're doing. But you know what? We still have... When's the church going to step up? And he challenged Bill Hybels on, a few years later after we did some different things as leadership in the world. And, and you know, even our church, you, you wouldn't recognize it now unless I went back and told you some of the things that we did. But... The idea is that over a few years, the church mobilized, and uh, we haven't answered the problem yet. The problem, there's still world hunger, but it is significantly improved. Because the church said, you know what, I'm just not going to say anymore, be fed. Be warm. God bless you. I'll pray for you. We're going to do something about it. That leads us to the, the last characteristic of a spiritual zombie, and that's a shallow conviction. Verse 18. Or excuse me, verse, uh, yeah, verse 18. Let me read that. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, I like this verse because uh, there's a game in this verse. I, I like it a lot. So what, what I need is a, uh, a volunteer uh, from the congregation. I'm not going to ask you to come up here, but just like, a, a, is there a volunteer out there? You're so brave. Just to raise your hand. Okay, Joyce, stand up right where you are. You don't have to move from that spot, but stand right there. Now, uh, Joyce, I am going to... Um, uh, you get faith, and I get works. Okay, so I'm going to be works, you're going to be faith. So, um, now I'm going to win this game. You can ask my wife. The only kind of games I like to play are the kind I can win. Uh, I'm going to win this game, but just, you know, Joyce is going to be faith, and I'm going to be works. So, Joyce, right now... Uh, in fact, if you turn around and face the congregation, and, and don't move, Joyce, I want you to show your faith to the congregation without works. Okay, ready, go. Joyce, take your time. Sorry. Right. Okay, okay, you sit down now. 
Oh, you can't sit down. No, you can't. See, (laughs) she can't do anything. Just show your faith. From my works, I can trace back to my faith. That, yes. But your faith cannot be seen without works. Can't be done. Look at me. Look at my faith. You can't see that without works. Now, I can also trace my works back to other things. And I'll just be honest here for a moment because some of you are thinking this anyway. Because I did when I was doing the sermon. I can trace my works back to other things. I can just have a general compassion for people that are hurting that God places in every human being. Now, some human beings suppress that. Even if you're not a Christian, every human being has this kind of a general sense that that's the way God created us. He created us in his image. But sin kind of sometimes stops that. So there can be this kind of general sense of wanting people to have good experiences. So, But I can also uh, trace my works back to other things like my need to be loved by you. Please love me if I do something good for you. Please Please love me. Or my need to be okay in your eyes or the eyes of others. Or my need to prove myself that I'm a good person. So all of those things can get mixed up in here. But, but listen to this. Good works by themselves do not always speak to the life of God in a person. But here's the converse. You cannot have living faith without these there being some sign, some product, some emanation of works coming from you. It can't be done. People that just say, be warmed and be healed, but never do anything, that's dead faith. That's not small faith or weak faith or wobbly faith. That's just dead faith. That's what James is saying. You can't show your faith, it's alive, without some pulse, some breath, some good work. It's impossible. Now, you know a story well uh, about uh, the four friends who dropped the, their buddy who was a paralytic through the roof of a place where Jesus was speaking. You know the story. I won't read it. And in the text, it says in Mark 2.5 that Jesus, seeing the faith of those four men, now stop there, seeing the faith of those four men, you're you say, okay, how do you see the... Okay, so here's the guys that are digging through a hole in the roof. Talk about, um, you know, innovative. Digging a hole in the roof, they're going to drop this man down on a mat four corners tied with ropes, drop him down, plop him in front of the Jesus because he needs to be healed. So the Bible says that Jesus, seeing their faith, and then he ministered at that point, seeing their faith. Well, how did he see their faith? Well, you could say, well, Jesus is the spiritual equivalent of Superman, so he had x-ray vision. And he looked through these men's hearts and saw, you know, pulsating faith, 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 faith. Maybe that's how he saw their faith. I don't think so. Or, or maybe... Um, as the men were lowering the man down, they were reciting the Apostles' Creed, or John 3.16. Oh, I, now I see their faith. I, I hear it. I, I, now I know you have... Or, or maybe uh, they, they had a signed statement of faith. A signed. That, that I believe in this, I believe in this. And they, they pinned that on the corner of the mat so that Jesus could see their faith. No, no. None of that. In fact, in the text, it says that um, the demons can also say those things. The demons also believe those things. Look at verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good, 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 good. Even the demons believe that and shudder? (laughs) Did you know that the demons and Satan himself have good doctrine? They believe in Jesus. They certainly believed in his crucifixion and resurrection. Why else do you think are they working so hard? They believe. 
Demons sometimes we think are these bad people, these bad spirits that are atheists. Demons are just the opposite of atheists. They really believe in what we believe in. Now, it's not saving faith. It's dead, but they believe. They have the right stuff going on in their heads. They believe the right facts about God. And the Bible says they shudder. In fact, they could even say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I believe. Demons could quote that. Demons could say that. If you believe this, and yet you have no life that comes out by serving others, by doing good works, you're just like those demons. They literally shudder at those words. They believe them, but they shudder at them. When you and I hear them, it's a song to us. It's a, it's a beautiful testimony of our faith. There's a big difference between confessing what we believe and how we live in an empty Confession. See, what you do really matters. In that magnificent prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 to His Father, He said this in John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by by completing the work you gave me to do. Let that sink into you for a moment. I have brought you glory on earth, Jesus said to the Father. By completing the work you gave me to do. He did what he was supposed to do. And that glorified the Father. Jesus went to the cross when he didn't want to. And that glorified the Father. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He did what he was supposed to do. Are you willing to realize this morning that faith without what living faith produces is useless. Faith without living out our faith by serving others is useless. I want to close this morning and I want to just take a moment of ministry time with you. In this room this morning, First Service, Hope Covenant Church, in this room there are varying degrees of faith Uh, There are some of you who have come here today with weak faith or wounded faith or wobbly faith or even stumbling faith. What I would say to you today is that um, if you have come with weak faith or wounded faith or wobbly faith, that's still living faith. Don't question your salvation. That's still living faith. Do not despair. If your faith is weak, you ask God to help you let it grow. If it's wounded, to be healed. If it's wobbly, to be stabilized. But the, one I, uh, the group I want to talk to today most especially is those of you who would say, well, I don't have weak faith or wobbly faith or wounded faith. I, I have no faith at all. In other words, my faith is dead. For you, rest cannot help that. Revival cannot help that. 
or transfusion cannot help that. Only, only resurrection. Only turning from death to life. Well, I would ask you, if I invite you, if you will, to join me in prayer. If you bow your heads, each of you. And this morning, for those of you who have weak faith or wobbly faith or stumbling into sin faith, I, I just want to give you a moment to ask God to give you what you need this morning. So in the quietness of this place, would you just spend the time and say, Lord, I want my faith to increase. I want my faith to be so alive and so real in me. Help me with my wounded faith or weak faith or wobbly faith. Just take a moment for those of you who are believers. And Lord, now I just want to talk to those in our congregation this morning who would confess before you that their faith is not alive at all. It is dead. And because of that, there's no amount of trying hard that will fix it. It's a matter of turning from death to life, from darkness to light. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. My only hope is you, Lord Jesus. So this morning, if there are those of you who say, would say to God freely, you know what, my my faith is dead. I don't have any faith. I would just lead you in a prayer if you would like to come alive, if you would like to be resurrected by your spirit to come alive. Just pray this prayer after me, not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart. Dear Father, I don't really know you and I really don't have any faith that Pastor Dwayne has been talking about today but I want it I want to come alive I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior I want him to forgive me of my sins and grant me the grace to live a life that is living and dynamic and that will be living forever so with the little amount of faith that you can give me, Lord, even the faith as small as a mustard seed, I ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and to fill me with his Holy Spirit to make me alive. And to that end, Lord, I thank you and praise you. With heads still bowed and eyes closed, if that was your prayer this morning, I would love the honor of praying for you throughout this week. So if you would just, without anybody looking around, just look at me. No one else is looking. And raise your hand so that I can pray with you. I would love to do that. Just look at me and raise your hand. Anyone like that? Yes. God bless you over there. Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you. Lord, thank you so much for your life that is in us. Help us to be not discouraged. Lord, help us to know that even when our faith is weak and wobbly and wounded, that you're always wanting to give us what we need to live a life that really matters for you. Thank you, Father, for this word and for this congregation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.